The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Happy Mother's Day. We miss you. We want to begin by expressing our love and our thanks to all our mothers listening in. Um, It's fitting that today's passage is focused on love, isn't it? Because in many ways... No one, humanly speaking anyway, has loved us like our moms. So I actually would like to take this time to thank my mom who's listening in. Hi, mom. I love you for her great love. And I want to thank Marsha, my wife, who's also an incredible mother. Thank you. To all our sisters in Christ here at Fountain of Life, we're so, we're so thankful for you. Um, you enrich our lives in so many ways. So happy Mother's Day. I also, if we can, would like to grieve for a moment uh, with many of you, those of you who are mourning on this day, you're missing your mom, or you're missing your wife, uh, we love you, we want to grieve with you today and pray that you would know God's comfort and his care for you. So let's pray uh, just as we begin our time together this morning. Our Father, we come to you in Jesus' name by the power of your Holy Spirit, how we need you. We need your presence, your promises, your wisdom, your comfort, your healing, yourself. We need you. We thank you that you brought us to yourself in Christ. And we thank you for your sovereign provision and your protection. We thank you for your love. We thank you for this moment that you have given us, Lord, to encounter your word together. And we pray that you would bless it for your glory, for our joy in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're continuing our study through uh, the letter we call 1 John, and this morning we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 10 to 24, so if you want to open your Bibles, 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 to 24, this letter is about assurance, how we can know that we truly know the real God, and we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 10 to 24. Let's hear God's word together. John writes, verse 10, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love that he laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or deed, or excuse me, in love or in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. 
Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given. This is God's word. All right, so we are thinking about the assurance of love this morning, the assurance of love. And I'll be honest, it always feels a little strange to talk about love. And here's why, or one reason anyway. No one is ever officially anti-love. You know, if love was on the ballot, we'd all claim to vote for it. I've never preached a sermon on love and had someone come up and say, I really disagree with you. I don't think we should love other people. So what's hard to get at then is not whether or not we should love. It's hard to get at what love actually is. So let me give you one example of a a misunderstanding or a dichotomy we see when we talk about love. So our culture says we, we, we love love. We're, we love the idea of falling in love. But what do we mean by that? That kind of love, it emphasizes feelings, excitement, romance. And I think it has a self-orientation. In other words, I need to be thrilled by you and how you treat me. And when that elation is gone, well, I just don't feel in love anymore. The love now is gone. So our culture emphasizes this idea of falling in love, but I think it's a little self-oriented, feelings-oriented. Our culture also emphasizes self-love in the sense, well, I did a 30-second Google search, and I encountered a website quoting Buddha, okay? And here's what Buddha supposedly said. You yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection. Now, first of all, Though I'm no expert, I'm fairly sure Buddha never actually said that. Second, that quote was found on the website, Awaken the Greatness Within. And I think this just gives a little snapshot of our time. You borrow from sort of religion and form it about self, self self-love. I mean, even Buddha says you're great and you should love yourself. So let me just go ahead and spoil the secret. We're talking about assurance of love today. But euphoric experience, self-love, celebrating your own greatness, they are not at all what John is talking about in this passage. He would say those things uh, do not fit at all in his definition of love. In fact, there's an entirely different kind of love John is going to describe And this kind of love is far more difficult. We could even go so far as to say this kind of love is supernatural. You can't do it on your own. And yet as difficult as this love is, this kind of love is meant to be the ultimate marker of God's people. Christians are to be known by this supernatural love. They're to be known by something they can't on their own do. In fact, taking part in this supernatural love is a core foundational way to know you're actually a Christian. 
So we're continuing through 1 John. We've seen it again and again, haven't we? It's about assurance. And there's four criterion that need to be awake in your life so that you can have assurance. John gives clarity so that we can have confidence. And his clarity comes in these four tests. Do you have these things in your life? The more you have them abiding in your life, the more you can have confidence and assurance that you know God. He knows you. What are those tests? What are those criteria? Number one. It's a doctrinal test. It's a test of what you believe about Jesus. Christians know that Jesus is the eternal Son of God who became truly human, and he did it because he's God's promised king according to the scriptures. He alone lived a perfect life, uh, fulfilling God's law. He alone died on the cross as a substitute for the sins of his people, and he's the only one who could. He alone rose from the dead in victory, vindicating what he'd done. And he now reigns, and one day he's going to return, and trusting that truth, that's what we call the gospel, the good news, who Jesus is and what he's done. Trusting that truth, that's our foundation. That's what makes us who we are. It's a doctrinal test. Number two, there's a test of your honesty towards your own sin. The more you see who God is, the more you see reality about yourself. And so the question, are you honest about your true self and All the ways you've done wrong and haven't done right. Do you know, do you confess that you need a Savior? The third test is the test of your love for God as shown by your desire to obey Him. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. If we love Him, we're going to want to move forward in loving His ways. And the fourth test is the one we're focusing on specifically this morning. And it's the test of whether or not you practically, sacrificially love other Christians, particularly the Christians of your local church. So that's where we find ourselves. We're in chapter 3, verse 10, and verse 10 is a bit of a transitional verse. It takes us from where we were last week to where we are this morning. 1 John 3.10, let's look at it again. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, And for this morning, our focus here, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So in a way, it's crystal clear, isn't it? It continues throughout the passage. How do you know you're a Christian? Here's a a main, a fundamental test. Do you sacrificially, practically love your brothers and sisters in your local church? Now, I know as I say that, uh, I can imagine some questions arising. Uh, one question you're probably asking is, hold on, I thought we were supposed to love everyone, um, Christian or not. Well, that's true, of course. Love your neighbor as yourself. That means love anybody you have opportunity to love. But biblically, there is a priority on Christians loving Christians. Uh, in fact, Christians' love for one another is love for our neighbor, Let me show you what Jesus said. This is in John 13, 34 to 35. John 13, 34 to 35. Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Then verse 35. By this, by what? Christians loving one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So our friends need to see Jesus, yeah? The world needs to see Jesus, and how are they going to see him? A major way our neighbor, who we need to love, sees Jesus is to see Christians loving one another. So important. It's so essential. And I think John, in our passage this morning, gives us three reasons for why 
loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow Christians, our local church, is so essential for assurance. It's so essential for knowing you know God. Here's one reason. Love is the difference between life and death. Number two, love is from and like Jesus. Number three, love gives confidence or assurance. So number one, love's the difference between life and death. Number two, love is from and like Jesus. Number three, love gives confident assurance. So let's look at number one. We'll start now in verse 11. John says, 1 John 3, 11, this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And we've seen this before, right? Love is not a new idea. I hope none of you are out there going, Hold on, we're supposed to love one another? Uh, no, it's, it's plain, it's basic, everywhere obvious. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, uh, chapter 2, verses 7 to 11, about why, to, why and how to love one another. But immediately here, strangely perhaps, John starts talking about Cain. And I'll be honest with you, as I was studying this passage this week, there are several places that, that kind of surprised me, where I was thinking, John, what are you what are you doing? I don't understand. And this was one. Don't be like Cain. Uh, you remember the story of Cain and Abel in the book of Genesis, uh, those early chapters? Why is John talking about Cain? Let's dive in. Verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered who? His brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brother's righteous. So Cain literally, physically murdered his brother. And John goes into why a little bit. One reason, John says, is Cain was of the evil one. So Cain had an attitude that was demonic. It was devil-ish, devil-like, which means it was ultimately self-orienting, self-oriented, self-exalting to the point where you would really demean another person to the point of denying them even existence. So it was selfish, deeply selfish of the devil. Second reason, we see it's because Abel's deeds were righteous while Cain's were evil. I think this means that Cain knew he was rebelling against God. In fact, we know that God actually confronted Cain and said, you need to repent, bro. You need to, you need to humble yourself. So Cain had this choice. He could either humble himself before God as God invited him to do so, or he could harden himself and remain his own autonomous, selfish authority. And of course, that's what he decided to do. But as he did that, as he emphasized his pride and his self, the idea we see in this text that Abel was pleasing to God and not him grated on him. In his pride, Cain was hungry for recognition, but he insisted that he would do it his own way. And so his self-hardening became hatred, and what grows out of hatred? Murder. Murder grows out of hatred. You see, hatred is like a, prideful hatred is like a seed. It starts in the heart, right? It starts in the mind. But you water that thing, you fertilize it, you keep meditating on it, it grows. And sometimes it grows into a tree of literal murder. What this means is, we're all capable of murder. In fact, in a way, we all have committed murder. Some of you might say, hold on, that's too strong. Are you calling me a murderer? 
Well, let's listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. See what you think. Matthew 5, verses 21 to 22. Jesus says, You've heard it said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And just pause. I think many of Jesus' audience, religious leaders, religious people, would say, Well, I'm good. I've never physically killed anybody. Oh, no, Jesus says. Oh, no. Look at verse 22 now, Matthew 5, 22. Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who's angry with who? His brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. That's God's council, I think. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is saying that to be honest about our sin, we have to see deeper than just the external. We have to see the seeds that grow into those external sins and where they are in our hearts and understand that the internal reality is of that same kind of DNA as that external crime. So Jesus is then saying if you're honest about your sin, that cruel insult, that despising someone else in your heart, that's the seed of murder. Hate is the seed of murder. So again, we're, we're learning here from Cain, uh, from the teaching of Jesus. Again, why does John bring up Cain as this example then not to follow? Well, we're, all, we're already hearing echoes of it, right? Christians need to love their brother. What did Cain not do? He murdered his brother. Then John says in verse 13, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Now here was another hurdle for me as I was studying this text. Why? Why did he bring up the world here hating Christians when he's talking about Christians loving one another? It doesn't seem to fit. But then we remember 1 John 3, verse 1. John says there, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And then, you, then you think about the context of the book, right? Uh, these churches had a group of people in them, these churches John is writing to, who first of all denied who Jesus is. We've seen that. We've dealt with that in this letter. They're, they're changing the message about who he is. And, and then they left. They despised God's people. And so there's a connection here. You deny Jesus, what else do you deny? You deny his people. You deny his people. And so here I think we see John's point as far as it goes to Christians loving one another. The dis- Ever since Cain, John says... The despising of Christians is characteristic of a world that denies Christ and is spiritually dead. I'll say that again. Ever since Cain, the despising of Christians is a characteristic of the world that denies Christ and is spiritually dead. Cain is a picture of that. To despise a Christian then is like being Cain to Abel. It's a hardened self-exaltation with no humility before God and others. And that means, friends, if the despising of Christians is characteristic of those who deny Christ and are spiritually dead, then what's the other side of that? Love for Christians is characteristic of those who love Christ and are spiritually alive. There's a dividing line here. As shown in, as evidenced by, your attitude towards other believers. And that's why I say love for Christians really is a matter of life and death. 
Look at 1 John 3, 14 to 15. We know we've passed out of death into life. How do we know? Because we love the brothers. And that word, that Greek word means brothers and sisters. Whoever does not love abides in what? Death. And of course, he means spiritual death. He means kind of what we've seen, a a satanic attitude that I'm in charge of my life, self-exaltation, pride. I'm abiding in spiritual death. Verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You don't need to literally physically kill another Christian to hate him or to despise him or to be worldly or look like spiritual death. So John says, no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now hold on for a second, right? This doesn't mean that if you've ever despised a Christian or murdered even, you can't be saved. Can I get a, a virtual amen? Um, the Bible is clear that many murderers have been saved by Jesus. Think of the Apostle Paul. He literally killed Christians, had them killed. And he was absolutely saved. But he works as a great example because how did he change when he got saved? It became a passion of his to love God's people. And so as we've seen in 1 John, the issue is practice. It's practice. Um, Are you practicing moving towards wanting, desiring, looking into ways to love? And are you moving away from despising hatred, spiritual murder? And and John can draw the line because, right, it's what we saw last week, um, If you're a Christian, you've been born again. You have new, an entirely new life. Remember 1 John 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are, and that's just this amazement, right? We looked at what it means to be born again. It's when the truth of Jesus comes alive in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see how beautiful it is now, and you're humbled by God's incredible love. I mean, if we're looking at this passage, and I'm realizing I'm a murderer. I didn't deserve God's love at all. And yet he's loved me to the extent, through Christ, right, that he adopts me as his child. That's true for every Christian out there. You got this new start by God's grace, humbled by his love, and it gives you a new identity as a child of God with new desires, And it is impossible, John says, for you to be born again and have a new identity, humbled by God's love, and not grow in loving other brothers and sisters. It's impossible. And you say, hey man, there's many people who claim to love to trust Jesus, and do do they love brothers and sisters? Do they love their local church? How do you know you have eternal life? Listen, you don't get eternal life by loving brothers and sisters. Have any of you done that well enough? What a joke, right? How do you know that a tree is an apple tree? I suppose you could do some uh, scientific internal biological test, right? You could take a trunk of the tree and, I don't know, I'm not a scientist, put it under a microscope and be like, yep, there it is, apple tree. For, for more simple people like me, there's an easier test. Look, an apple must be an apple tree. Was the apple tree an apple tree before the apples? 
It certainly was. But what do the apples prove? It's an apple tree. By this, it is evident who are the children of God. You were a Christian when you trusted that gospel that first time and you came alive. But the fruit that you're a Christian that will inevitably come if you are a Christian is you will love your fellow Christians. You love your brothers and sisters. It's the core evidence you're alive. And that's why it's the difference between life and death. It's the difference between the world and the Father. Second reason love for Christians is so essential. Love is from and like Jesus. Look at First John, or, uh, yeah, First John 3, 16. By this we know love, John says. Here's what love really is. That he, of course, that's Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So here we get into what love really is, don't we? We know love. And that though we were completely undeserving, Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Let's just pause there for a moment. Let me ask you this question. What did you do to deserve Jesus' love? And every Christian throughout history has the same answer. It's real clear, and it goes like this. Nothing. Okay. Or I guess you could even say the opposite. I did everything to not deserve his love. So there was nothing in me, no righteousness, no beauty, no talent, no performance. There was nothing in me that deserved his love. His love is totally and completely by grace. It's undeserved love. And in the magnificence of that grace, think about it, he came. He came. God became human. And under, under great suffering, lived a perfect life. And then he went so far as to die on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of all his people. Oh, what did we do to deserve that? Nothing. He enabled justice to be done. God stays holy and pours out his wrath, his just wrath on sin, but he does it on the substitute. So that Jesus takes our sin and we receive his righteousness and through that are forgiven, adopted, changed. What love? He gave up his life for us. Hmm. I want to ask you, if the criterion of Jesus' love for you wasn't your own deserving, then what was it? Why? Why does he love you? The highest we can go on this is it's God's gracious, sovereign will. He loves you because he wants to, for his glory. The reason is in him. It was the Father's will. Again, 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. It started with him. It wasn't about how great we were or what we had accomplished. That criterion is really important for this conversation. Because John is also saying, if you've known love like that from Jesus, you will grow in showing love like that, like Jesus. Yeah? If you have known love like that from Jesus, you will grow in showing love like that, like Jesus. By this we know love. He laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. And then in verse 17, John makes it real practical. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
So John here is looking for love that's not formal, but practical and sacrificial. When he says, let us not love in word or talk, um, you agree, right? That doesn't mean that the way we talk doesn't need to be loving. Or that talk can't be sometimes the greatest love we can give. Or listening. That's not what he's saying, right? He's saying, don't let your love just be external or formal. Let it be real and practical and meet the need. And so we see here how this kind of love confronts our culture, right? It's not falling in love with some experience. Let me tell you, it's pretty easy to fall out of love with other Christians rather quickly. If you're yelling amen at your computer screen right now, remember that goes both ways. It's not self-love either. What do we do with ourselves when we love like this? We lay ourselves down. We sacrifice. We give up something for someone else. It's painful. We give something up. And that's why it's supernatural. It comes from a new heart. You know, a mother's love can come naturally. A mother's love is an amazing thing, but it can come naturally. But a new heart to love Jesus has new abilities to love his people like he does. And that is supernatural. You see the Christians in need, and you remember Jesus loves these people, and so you open your heart to them, and you give the world's goods to them, or whatever they may need at the time. And if your heart's closed to them, you say, no, I despise them, I don't care, I won't serve, I won't love. John would ask, do you really know Jesus' love? So let me apply this with a couple questions. Actually, first, I want to thank you, Fountain of Life, for the millions of ways you love like this. I could go on and on how I've seen you love one another with the love of Jesus throughout the years. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I've been wanting to do this for several weeks. I want to thank Larry Kaufman, Habib Tanous, and Grant Wolf for sacrificing hours and hours and hours to love you by enabling even this live stream. That's love. They laid themselves down. I want to thank Emma Ford for doing children's worship videos every Saturday so the kids can have a Sunday school lesson. It's practical love. Praise God for the love that abounds all throughout the Fountain of Life community. But with that, I want to ask questions, questions that are bothering me this week. Do you have a budget? for meeting other Christians' needs. Are you ready, are you ready to give sacrificially when you see a need you can meet? According to this text, it's part of being a Christian, isn't it? Uh, that's why we have a benevolence fund at church, if you want to give to that. It's ways we try to meet needs of Christians within our congregation and live out this passage, practical needs. Another question I want to ask you, do you know other Christians well enough to know their needs? And do they know you well enough to know your needs? Do we know one another well enough to share the reality of our own needs? Because let me tell you, it is hard to meet needs you don't know of. It was hard enough before COVID. It was hard enough. It's harder now to know one another. So I just want to encourage you, 
work at it. Reach out, share honestly. And if there's a need you have or you know of, let us know. Um, we see in Jesus' example, we need to lay ourselves down. You know what? Sometimes it can be sacrificial love just to work to know one another. It really can. And that's what we're called to do. Another question I want to ask. Are you watching out for false gospels in your mind and your heart that lead you away from love? Here's what I mean. Let's remember, what was Jesus' criterion for laying himself down for you? Was it anything awesome about who you are? No. It was a Father, sovereign, gracious will, not any human distinction. So let me ask you now, what's your criterion for loving and not despising other Christians? Hmm. Here's a concern of mine. See what you think. It might be a little bit easier in today's situation for Christians to despise one another in their heart and refuse a posture of love over their view of and response to this coronavirus issue. Have a view, it's important. But remember, your view on these things ought to be, right, about the wisest way to love in the situation. But you gotta ask yourself, if your view on how to handle this situation leads you to a despising attitude in your heart towards other Christians with a different view, you're using a different criterion than Jesus used for you. You might have a false gospel lurking in your heart. What's the good news? Getting the response to the situation right. Mm. Our text would say that's a very serious thing. Can we remember what love looks like? I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 2. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Can you hear me? Quang, quang. Verse 2, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, coronavirus is easy for you, right? And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, what are you? Nothing. What does love look like, friends? What does love look like every time? 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient, Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. Listen to this. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable. It is not resentful. What you say is important. And the way you say it is just as important when it comes to love. And the criterion for loving other Christians is not that they interpret this moment right. That's a very difficult thing to do. It's the fact that they're Christians. So check your attitude towards Christians who look at things from the opposing viewpoint. If your first thought is, oh, idiot, brainwashed fool, they're what's wrong with society, and you're despising them? Behold your false gospel. Your good news has become your version of COVID response. And that's important. Sure, it's not the gospel. It's not the criterion God uses to save his people. 
It's not the criterion then of who should be prioritized for love as our brothers and sisters. Remember, church, if you're a Christian, you have more to unify you with another Christian who completely disagrees with you on cultural issues than with someone who denies Christ and is on the same page with you politically. Because you have the same Father, saved by the same Son, and dwelt by the same Holy Spirit. So let's be willing, I guess this is what I'm encouraging, to sacrifice ourselves for unity in Christ. To lay ourselves down in a way, it's hard, isn't it? With a sacrificial love that comes from Jesus and looks like Jesus. So we're talking about the assurance of love. Love is the difference between life and death. Love is sacrificial. It comes from and looks like Jesus. Third, love gives confidence the confidence of assurance. We'll look now at verses 19 to 22. John says, By this we'll know we're of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. You know, it struck me this week. Here's another thing that kind of surprised me. The context here is about prayer, isn't it? It's about prayer. By this we'll know we're of the truth, and what does it say next? Reassure our heart before him. See, an environment of being before God. Or um, look at what it says in 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. That's prayer, right? The context is prayer. Reassure, reassure our heart before him. Confidence before God. Whatever we ask, we receive so, here's another, you know, kind of surprising question. What does prayer have to do with love and assurance? Everything. First of all, we're talking about how to really know God, right? How can you say you know God if you don't have a relationship with him, and we enjoy that relationship with him in prayer? And so we see some of what prayer is supposed to be, our hearts before him. Prayer, I think here, is about this intimate presence and attention. Prayer is less like shooting off an email and running and more like coffee in God's throne room. And you're looking one another in the eyes. It's, uh, it's vulnerable. It's personal. It's intimate. And I think that's what makes it scary. Because <laughs> when you come before a holy God, what's going to happen to you? It happened to Isaiah in Isaiah 6 going to happen to you. You're going to have your heart exposed. Exposed. Because as the text says, God sees and he knows everything. And so let's be honest, maybe that's why some of us don't spend time in prayer like this. We know God knows and we can't bear to be opened before him. And so this, this text encourages you, get there before God and stay there. And when you're there in his presence, sometimes, it's definitely happened to me, your heart will condemn you. You know, it's easy to, to look past our sins when we're not in prayerful fellowship with God and kind of shove them to the side. But when you get there in his presence, I know what happens to me, there it is, I'm exposed. And your heart will condemn you, and it'll, sometimes it'll be like this, oh my gosh, I haven't loved I, I don't love these people. I had an opportunity to love. I didn't take it. I didn't show love. Am I even a Christian? 
That's another reason it's hard for me to preach on love. I know I'm not that loving. How do we reassure our hearts? How do we get confidence before him in the reality that love is very difficult for us, especially when it comes to loving our brothers and sisters sacrificially? So I think we can find a three-part process in here, and it's not like linear one, two, three all the time. Uh, it's all the time always. But I think there's, a, there's a, a logic to how love gives confidence. First of all, it starts with reassuring your heart in the reality of God's love for you in the gospel. Verse 23, John is kind of summing up the section. He says, this is God's commandment. First, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Is it important that that comes before trying to love? Hey, why, why did you believe in the name of Jesus Christ in the first place? Part of it was you realized you're a sinner and you need him to save you. And chapter 3 here that we're reading assumes chapter 2, doesn't it? Let's remember 1 John 2, verse 1. John says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Or, you know, we could also say, so that you would love one another. But, in verse 1, if anyone does sin, or we could also say, if anyone doesn't love one another, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins. So when your heart condemns you, run to the gospel. Run to Jesus. And remember that Jesus always loved perfectly. And he demands righteousness for you. And that's not a danger to you. That's a blessing because the righteousness he demands is, hey, Father, I was the propitiation. I paid for that person's sins. All the times they did not love, I paid it. Forgive them. Call them just. Call them righteous. Bring them in as your child. And of course, the father joyfully says, yes. Yes. And so John says, God knows our hearts. When your heart condemns you, God knows your heart as you go to him in prayer and you trust in the gospel. He sees the reality of your faith in Christ and your repentance and your desire to change. So how do we reassure our hearts? How do we get confidence before God? Rely on that gospel again, who Jesus is and what he's done. And part two, pray for the power to love. 1 John 3, 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And sometimes we get tripped up on this phrase, whatever we ask, we receive, as if I'm supposed to be like, uh, you know, Lord, give me the winning lottery ticket. It's ridiculous. That's not what this text is. What does he mean? Well, think of the context. If you're getting before God and your heart condemns you, your heart condemns you that you haven't loved. What should you be praying for? What should you be praying for? Lord, forgive me. Help me to know your love. He'll answer that. And, Lord, help me to love these people. Help me to lay myself down. Help me to lay my pride down. 
Help me to humble myself. Oh, God, help me to love these people. And guess what John is saying? Guess what God's answer to that prayer will be? He'll help you love. You'll have what you ask for. This is his will for your life. He's given you new birth so that you'll love Jesus and be like him. And he, more than you, wants you to grow in loving one another. And he will answer this prayer. So you rely on the gospel. You pray for the power to love And then, verses 23 to 24, this is commandment that we believe in the name of his Son and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abide in God and God in him. Well, after you rely on the gospel and you pray for the power to love, you plan the work and you work the plan, which means you actually, practically, sacrificially do what? Love. You ask where there's a need. And you meet the need. Sometimes love is confession and asking for forgiveness. Sometimes love is forgiving someone else. Sometimes love is listening. Sometimes love is working for unity. Sometimes love is encouragement. Sometimes love is giving money. Sometimes love is an act of service. Sometimes love is patience. Sometimes love is kindness. But here's my confidence in you and in God in you. If you really want to practically, sacrificially love other Christians, and you ask him for the power to do that, I think you'll figure it out. I think you'll see it. I think you'll be able to do it. And you'll find that assurance comes from love. Love is the difference between life and death. We know we belong to God because we love our brothers and sisters. Love is from and like Jesus. It's grace from Jesus, and it's gracious sacrifice to others. And love brings confidence. It brings confidence. So go out and love those crazy, difficult, precious Christians, just like me, and just like you. And you'll know as you do this, I wouldn't be doing this if it weren't for Jesus. And that will give you assurance. I must be a Christian. And that will be a joy all of its own, won't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your unbelievable, gracious love for us in Christ. That apart from any of our doing, you came for us, Jesus. You gave yourself up for us. You sacrificed yourself for us. And you, loved, you love us and you keep loving us. And staying with us. Lord, let us be inspired to love. Let us see your people in the light of how you see us. As we see Christ, let us see his body. Let us see his bride. How precious we are to you by grace through faith in the gospel. And move our hearts, Lord, to confess ways we haven't loved. To pray for the power and the motivation to love. And then to actually do deeds of love. And let it come out from us joyfully, and let, us, let it come out for us genuinely, and then give us the joy of assurance. We're yours. We're different. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you, church. Can't wait to be together again. God bless you. Thank you for listening, and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. 
For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.